you guys are probably raring to go. We're ready to do I'm this. like a bull in a shoot. I'm, I'm ready. Very interesting. Hell yeah. I don't even know what that means, but I like the energy. Comic, 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 canon revival. Welcome to the Comic Canon Revival, a podcast where we look at some of the most beloved stories in the history of comics, both new and old. We take exemplary, historic, and even bizarre stories, and we put them under our figurative microscope. And we're going to do that now, and shit is going to get, I don't know, kind of wild on this one. We are doing Judge Dredd. That's the character that we're going. And look, uh, we have a guest on this episode. I'll introduce him in a moment, but... I have to say up front, if uh, our guest didn't pick this uh, comic and this character, I don't know when we would get to it. I love, I am, I am wildly interested. Let's say in Judge Dredd, I think he's a fantastic character, but he does occupy this kind of, I don't know, like not cul-de-sac or or island or whatever, but it, it's sort of a removed book. It's well respected. I know a lot of people that love this book, but I don't feel like he gets talked about that much. And, but anyway, let's just do some introductions. I'm Jared McCorkle. As you know, the lawgiver to my lawmaster, Wendell Smith, is here. Um, is that even, do you know what those are, even, Wendell? I was going to say, I, is that even titles given out? I know that there yeah, are Yeah, his gun, his oh, gun lawgiver, is his yeah. lawgiver, yeah. and the, the cycle is the lawmaster. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bike in your gun. That's, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. Um, and then we have a guest on the show. Uh, Chris Blaker is here. Hey, uh, my uh, one of my best friends, my entire life, known him longer than anybody. Chris, yeah, Blaker. that's about right. I am the Roy Snyder to Jared's uh, Sylvester Stallone in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, yeah, that's the, also a right wing ideologue. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. Like real quick story about Chris. Chris, fun trivia fact, was the first person on the planet Earth that I came out to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, yeah, you were spending the night, and uh, yeah, you just uh, hit me with it. And um, I mean, you know, I wasn't uh, like upset or shocked or anything. I was, I was slightly surprised, I guess. I mean, Jared's always been different, but I, you know, <laughs> he, but I was wearing a tutu at the time. But at the he same time, he's <laughs> not what he's not a Will and the Grace gay person. He's not. You know, fan. I'm not, he's not fancy. Is what he's, saying. he's not into theater. Yeah, I'm not fan. I am not fancy. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, project that. But yeah. But I, I told Chris, and he called me the f word. <laughs> not the one you think. Friend. <laughs> he said I, to quote him. He called me friend. He was like, "This gets my friend," and that was the thing. I let. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, beep that out, Wendell. Okay. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, so we've known each other for a long time, and Chris is a very bright person, and he's a book proprietor, a bookmonger, if you like, a page I'm, monger. I'm a bookseller, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, I work at a bookstore. Yeah. Book. My my that's partner right. owns a bookstore. Yeah. Um, which you were like, I'm not, we're not going to talk about. But then, then you mentioned books, so I was like, ah, I've opened it up. Anyway, um, so you picked this comic. You picked, uh, uh, one, the character, but specifically we narrowed it down to, we're doing... Block Mania and the Apocalypse War. Now, at first, when I looked at the book and how much you picked, I was like, you didn't want to do Tolstoy? That was not too much for you? But this ended up actually being very readable and and sort of made sense as a selection, I think. I feel like it moves pretty quickly. I mean, these yeah. are not comic books in the American sense. These are like... So Judge Dredd's published in 2000 AD, which is a magazine or a comic book size thing. And right. Judge Dredd is just a part of that. So you get like, I don't know, six pages per 
they call them progs, but you know, you have your these brief little stories. Whatever the hell that yeah, means. Programs. It's a futuristic sort of thing, but anyway, um, or just weird British talk. Yeah. <laughs> it just it felt like it moves pretty quickly, and I felt like if I just picked like three, you know, we wouldn't have much to talk about. Like a lot of the stories are yeah. just these brief little snippets where Judge Dredd catches a guy doing caffeine and he has to put them in the iso cubes for 10 years because that's how it works <laughs> in the future because all drugs yeah, are illegal yeah. but yeah um and, these well let's let's go ahead let's get the housekeeping yeah let's do, let's get the housekeeping out of the way so we are talking about uh two stories one is block mania that was published in october 31st 1981 the first issue that is um and then a sort of succeeding story the apocalypse war the first one runs into the second one and that was uh the first issue of that was january 2nd 1982 um if you're looking for the single issues of as chris mentioned 2000 ad magazine or 2000 ad the comic published by rebellion um the progs that it (laughs) came out in block mania was 236 to 244 and the apocalypse war is 245 to 270 um are we have pretty uh, skeleton crew in terms of the people that made this the Bla- black mania has a bunch of amazing artists i have to say not just yeah. that they're great in this their careers are going to be wild the writers were john wagner and alan grant john wagner is sort of associated as the sort of main writer here but alan grant is credited this is uh black Mania was illustrated by mac mac mike mcmahon ron smith steve dylan of preacher this yeah. is some of the early stuff he did and brian boland whose stuff is just goddamn beautiful letters were tom frame uh, Apocalypse War, the writers were, again, John Wagner and Alan Grant, illustrated by Carlos Esquera. Esquera? I can't remember. I was I curious know, how you'd name, pronounce that. Yeah, I, d- I don't know how to say it either. Esquera, probably. Um, and then the letters on that were Tom Frame and Steve Potter. That, by the way, means that those, when I say illustrators, that means that the names I mentioned did both the penciling uh, and the inking. Um, oh, and I wanted to start saying this uh, on the show generally. Um Judge Dredd was created by John Wagner and Carlos Esquera. And the editor, Pat Mills, even though he's not usually credited as one of the creators, was very important to his creation. Absolutely. Um, and he was in March 1977 when he was created. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're reading. I know it's a lot of info, but I think everybody... Look, I'm going to tip my hat and say I really, really love this. Um, this is right up my alley, and I don't really know how we're going to approach it because there's a lot going on here, but it's all all good stuff. Um, I'll give you a, the, a quick back of the postage, and and we can kind of talk about, for the listener who's unfamiliar with Judge Dredd and didn't see those two movies, one very good, one very bad, kind of what the world's like. But this is basically a story of Judge Dredd. He is a futuristic sort of post-apocalyptic, basically cop, but, you know, embodying the idea of the judge jury and executioner and they control this sort of futuristic uh massive the entire eastern seaboard city and uh these are two cases uh two stories one of which is this big massive sort of crime spree or issue of domestic violence and then the other the next one is basically the the war against the soviets the cold war turns hot with the russian version of the judges that's kind of what we read today. But let's talk a little bit about this, before we get in the story, kind of the world of Judge Dredd. Oh, you mean the far-flung future of 2013? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the timeline is weird here because I've seen some stuff that this takes place in later on, like it, the it's canonized. I guess that it's like twenty ninety nine. That's when it starts. Which is not that far away. So okay. right, and then it's Ni- twenty one twenty something. Nineteen seventy seven equals twenty ninety nine. So anything Gosh, subsequent to that, you add. I think it's one hundred and forty years and X amount of years, and you get the current year. So now we're in twenty one ninety something. I don't really know the math, but yeah. Yeah, it's, but it feels just around the corner. It feels yeah. like now. A lot of it does yeah. to me. It, it I, does. I, I, the one thing that really I, I always love about past interpretations of the future, um, and mm-hmm. I wanted to write, I wish I'd have written more down, but like how all of the the towers or like blocks are named after like 70 celebrities, you know, like people yeah. that were in TV, Dan Tana. Ex- yeah, um, exactly. I had to look Dantana uh, up. Yeah. I guess you I looked did, him yeah, up, I too. Yeah, I was like, okay, we? I can't keep doing this, because yeah, it's like characters that I've I've heard my parents probably talk about, but like the idea that, you know, Ricardo Montalban is gonna, was going to have yeah. staying power uh, past... He's a classy block. <laughs> yeah, right? it, it was a classy block, and I think it's actually probably a reference to that Cadillac commercial that he did about the Cadillac leather. Cordova. Yeah, the rich Corinthian love. So, and Fantasy Island, so he's sort of associated with silly wealth. But I, I think there's more going on to that. I don't want to get too far into it, but I, I actually think it probably says something about how disconnected uh, people in this era are to those earlier people because you can you have names like Henry Kissinger right. and Bugs Bunny and Fats Domino. So it's a bit like they, they're almost robbed of any kind of content. Um, and it adds to us an absurdity. But anyway, so, so basically this is a satire. Um, that's incredibly, it's regulatory of what we're going to talk about going forward. Um, I had never read Dread comics before. I'd read like sort of a few things that people had posted online, like examples of cool moments or whatever. But I, uh, I think Chris mentions this as well. Like when we talked about this, I did. I've only seen the movies, right? And I kind of got the basic idea, and I maybe read a couple Wikipedia pages. I had no idea that this is actually like out and out, you know, explicit hammy, ham-fisted satire. I don't mean that in a bad way. Right? Yeah, I think that's something the movies don't really capture is that sometimes the zaniness and the Mm-mm. craziness that goes on in um, this world. I mean, it is very right. violent and super serious. I feel like if the Stallone movie and um, the, what's the other guy's name, Keith Urban movie had a baby, mm-hmm. you would have dread or Judge Dredd, the comic book, the tone a little bit better. I think it's Carl, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Um, uh, who did Keith's, I say? Keith's brother. Oh, He's I'm a sorry. Keith Urban. Yeah. He was Australian like a country, star. country music. Right, yeah. Yeah. Carl yeah. Urban, yeah. Also a great actor. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, Kidman's husband, I think. You know, he's got, mm-hmm. he's got bona fides. Um, yeah. But, sorry, yeah, yeah, back, I mean, so you were saying, like, it, it, if you combine those two movies, it would really. Yeah, I, the, I feel like the tone. the tone is somewhere in the middle of those two things. Like Rob yeah. Schneider is like too much for that movie, but you know, um, is it Carl Urban is just so yeah. serious. That movie is just so deathly serious and great and super yeah. violent. But you don't really get like the weird zany stuff that's got. Like I don't know if you guys checked out any of the other like short stories that are in this book and um some of them yeah yeah. like with death yeah or uh what's his name yeah judge Judge death Death. but also there's just like funny ones where people are doing these fads like um 
it's not it's like on the level of like the tide pod things like people are doing these ridiculous things to themselves for no reason yeah and this i mean in that tradition of satire and and maybe comedy generally this series is and i'm not the first person to say this by any means is, is sort of known i guess now as being uh predictive of the future uh, you know there's similar videos that you can or sorry similar like listicle ideas where they're like you know 100 or 10 or whatever times the simpsons predicted the future or futurama or south park or whatever and this is also one of those properties that because it's i mean maybe it just says we're where we are and where we're going that like often these absurd comedies have just been undone by our present yeah i felt like um this is the comic version of the onion it's like no matter how far the onion goes reality always comes along and says hold my beer and just like outdoes <laughs> whatever's going on in the in the onion or judge dread yeah no a thousand percent and and uh you mentioned the two movies i want to talk a little bit about them but like you said the two tones if you add them together you get something like this movie i think that's both true and sort of there's something missing right so it is true that first one, the Stallone movie, is just silly. I want to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but like, it's just kind of goofy. But and and the Carl Urban twenty twelve version is hyper gritty and very real and very sincere in a way. Um, but I, I and and the t- tones do fuse to make something like this. But I think the difference is that this is actually like f- like fully satirical. You know, it's not just sort of like exaggeratory or whatever. It, I think there's things going on. And we'll talk about it as we go. But it, you can't help but make connections with like ideas of fascism and law enforcement. And um, I, the more I read this, the more I went back and forth between whether or not like it's how much of a criticism it is of this kind of law enforcement or whatever. I mean, you know, I don't think it's as easy as just saying it's only making fun of fascism or something, but. The, the the creators have been pretty explicit that it is supposed to be a critique and making fun of it, yeah. but uh, a lot sometimes the audience isn't always in on the joke. Um, sometimes the audience, right. like with you know movies like Dirty Harry, it's like you know, well, this is what we should be doing to take care of crime. This is just it's an easy solution to complex problems. That's what Judge Dredd is. I I was telling my friends about that before uh, before this episode. I was I was like, it was weird because I forgot that there was like in the eighties we were always rooting for renegade cops to take like justice in their own hands and right. fucking shoot all the bad guys and, and beat them all up until they get, you know, whatever means necessary. And I, I was like, this, this used to be some shit like lethal weapon. That is like the whole premise mm-hmm. of lethal weapon is just cops going and doing that. And I, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I still don't think I'm supposed to root for him though. You know, like I honestly like judge dread is just an impressive feat of, willpower is what he is like but right the people of his city kind of don't mean anything to him like it like it, it's it's more oh the, the, yeah you know what i mean like that, that and that's that's yeah. very explicit yeah, yeah yeah i i i like that for, i was like okay so he's this isn't a clear cut like like a real war there's not really like a clear cut winner a lot of the times or like good guy you know and uh yeah let's let's break some of this down because i think on one end as you mentioned, the, the creators uh, primarily Wagner and and, it's, and as as Kara, and it, and it seems like any of the sort of who's who of like amazing, usually British, but I don't think exclusively sort of like indie writers, people like Garth Ennis are associated with the title and things like that, um, are always being satirical. 
the problem I have with that, not totally, but the, pro- the thing that I think is complicated is they make Judge Dredd really cool. You know, you can think of like a out and out critical parody of something, and gent- like when they do when SNL, I think often really poorly, but all the same does Trump or any political figure. You can tell the really milquetoast politics of the creators of those shows. They don't also just whoop ass. And you're not in the sketch just rooting for them the entire time. Yeah. But the narrative really takes over for you in a lot of these comic books, not just this one, but like things like it, where, you know, sometimes I think these creators want to have it both ways, where, you know, you'll read The Punisher and somebody like Jason Aaron might in an interview talk about like, oh, you know, it's really trying to like put a spotlight on gun violence. And it's like, yeah, you know who I want to win the entire time? The gun-toting vigilante. Isn't that weird that your story did that? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's like with um, Full Metal Jacket or uh, Apocalypse Now. I mean, the creators have said these are supposed to be anti-war films, but, I mean, you can't help but watch the Flight of the Valkyries with the helicopters and just think that war is awesome, you know? Right. Especially if you're Brian Williams. <laughs> and you're like, the beauty of our weapons, and to quote Leonard Cohen or whatever. Yeah, and, and I think that, like, it's fine to say these things are complicated. Um, and there is probably an, a general allure of moralistic violence and stuff like that that you can't totally hang on, you know, the 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 put on the shoulders of, of these creators. I don't think it's as simple as saying they're full of shit. It's not a real critique. I think it is a real critique. But I, again, I, I do think there's the other side to it. The other thing I wanted to mention is that like what you you're talking about, like the 80s cop uh, that we all rooted for. We wanted the um, what was the word? Renegade cop yeah, that renegade. you talked about. Yeah. There's two really interesting things about that immediately. One is those renegade cops often were in contrast to the cops, the the police departments. So on one end, those things are critical of police institutions. And I've actually argued, not just on the show, but elsewhere, that in many ways, superheroes themselves have been sort of subtextual criticisms of law enforcement. You know, in other words, the idea that like justice isn't being done by our institutions, but what if really powerful people could do the right thing? Right. So that's that can have a progressive bend that can be good. The opposite thing is also present, which is there's a way that that's also just the heart of fascism. And I don't mean in the way that people are like anything bad and extreme is fascist if it's on the right. I mean, specifically the logic that says we cannot trust the Byzantine and Baroque formal institutions of politics what we need is a strong person who i identify to who be good who will cut through the gordian knot of bullshit and kill the bad people and there's a very mammalian primatological intuition that wants that but it is exactly what i think historically has led to explicit (laughs) formal fascistic regimes absolutely yeah judge dread is is a whole department of dirty harry's Instead of just right, yeah. you know, yeah, one yeah. rogue guy. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, and, the, and, the, and the people look up to him. He is like the hero. Like they're like, oh shit, that's Dread saying this, and he's just like fucking shooting a pit of them, you know. And they're just like, oh, this is so cool. Dread's fucking culling us. Boy, should they not? Right, by the right. way, I know, but like, it's just so weird. Their attitude towards him and his, and like his attitude towards them is right. Very strange. There's. Yeah, and since we're on it, and, uh, you know, if this if he had a catchphrase, I mean, I'm sure he could have many, and he kind of does have a few, um, but, like, uh, nothing can save you now, citizen. 
I think comes up in a few forms in yeah. in just the stories we read. Um, and they're, they're situations created by the writers, which is great, which means it's a very specific choice. Well, they're not really plot involved. So there's a scene like in what where one of the citizens is being swept away in a flood. And, you know, Dredd is, is like... Yeah, it's like the citizens like, oh, a judge will save. It's like no one can save you. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> to take the time to tell them that on the way as they as they drown to death is is so mm-hmm. good. It's such a crazy good thing for him to do. <laughs> to to circle back real quick, I, I am curious because Chris, you've never been on this show before, right. um, and. We, uh, as I mentioned, we probably wouldn't have gotten to this organically for a while. Maybe like literally looking at the amount of time it takes us to do episodes, like probably a, a year or two. So, why of all things did you pick this? I don't know. Um, no. So, uh, <laughs> so Judge honest. Dredd, the Stallone movie, came out when I was a kid, but it was when I was getting to the point where I was starting to pick like what I wanted to see in the theater, and at the time when I saw it as a kid, it was okay. I mean, it was entertaining. I. I don't think anyone would argue that it's not entertaining in parts. I am the law. Right. Uh, I mean, it's funny. (laughs) And um, this is a side note. Roy Schneider was not supposed to be in that film. Stallone insisted on that. It was. It's Rob Rob Schneider. Schneider. I'm sorry. Roy Schneider. No, Roy Schneider is in. Yeah. Roy Schneider is probably a better person where whoever he is, he's probably more talented. And yeah, he could have been an older judge, Uh, but Rob Schneider was not supposed to be in there. Stallone insisted upon it. He thought we needed a buddy and uh, it was supposed to be a much more serious (laughs) RoboCop style film. (laughs) Have you you seen that? (laughs) 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 Anyway, so I saw this film as a kid and then, you know, they say in the beginning of the movie, it's based on a comic and, Ever since I was, you know, that age, I've always been looking for that comic, and like my dumbass did not realize it was part of 2000 AD. So I'd always look for Judge Dredd, and just it, I never found it, you know. And then, um, then uh, the Urban film came out a few years ago, and I loved it. I regret not seeing it in the theater. It was a lot of fun. It's uh, hyper violent, but it's it, it's fun to watch. It's amazing. Hell yeah. That that movie, it's a very interesting choice they made. I think it knows the source material material uh, well enough, and the source material lays it on thick enough. Uh, the satire aspect that they abandoned in that movie, which I think has to be understood as a choice. And you know, I just think it's it's interesting that they were like, "Look, we're just going to set aside that." There might be some subtext, right? But like, it's not like the comic at all. But instead, they were like, "Let's take this world." And make it hyper realistic and gritty, um, and make like one of I I think it's one of the best action movies in the, of the 21st century. Yeah, and it's so well made. Uh, but it's just interesting how different. Yeah, it's like the raid. Are. I don't know. There's something about like the mm. yeah. like, bottle, like a bottle episode kind of thing. Yeah, where absolutely. everybody's just trapped in one place the entire time and have to get to the top or the bottom or whatever. You know, like beside. I watched it today with JT. Oh shit! And no. I said yeah. at the moment where they lock it down, I was like, "Now we got a movie." Yeah, literally, literally, because it's like now there is a thing that gives us a justification for this to be another hour, right? Mm-hmm. right. You know. Yeah. So I um, saw that film and I, you know, really enjoyed it. And then, um, you know, fast forward, Jared invited me to do this podcast, and I'd never read any of the comics, so I was like, "Well, what are we going to do?" And he's doing all this mm. Marvel and DC stuff, so. I wanted to come up with something interesting, and I hadn't read any Judge Dredd, so I was like, well, why not do that? And I've learned a lot having to do this, so that's why I picked it. Yeah, I'm glad you did, because again, like I said, not just for the podcast, 
this is one of those things. And there's like maybe 20 more properties out there that I have not read that I really want to that aren't just some obscure thing that are, you know, kind of uh, had a big impact, let's say, on comics. Some of the people that worked on this from the British world, uh, people that like would later on dominate the critically acclaimed stuff that came in the 80s sort of got their start here. And even the ones that didn't, this heavily influenced. So uh, I got Transmetropolitan vibes, another thing we did on the show, by the way, a lot from, especially the kind of um, satirical tone. Mm -hmm. And not just that it's a satire, that that kind of, this always got a bit of a joke. There's always a bit of a self-awareness to almost everything that's going on in this. Um, Yeah, no, I... It's like... It eventually moved on to like Dark Horse or something. Like, didn't Dark Horse do some stuff? IDW did it at IDW, some point. Okay. Um, um, Valiant might have. I mean, you might be right that it's Dark Horse. Is that, that magazine Dark Horse, still going? Yeah, other, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that magazine, like, oh, yeah? Yeah, you That's can get cool. it now. I mean, they have it at the comic book shop I go to around here. It comes in a little bag. It's a magazine, and yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Like Fangoria, like that kind of thing, or... Yeah, this is um, the, like the SNL of like a comic book. It just keeps. It started in '77, and I don't know. You do the math, but it's forty plus years of comic books. That's awesome. Yeah, um, that is awesome. Uh, yeah, like I, I like like Jared said. I think this is something I, we had actually somebody had mentioned. Uh, I, I think in the preacher episode, uh, they uh, I think James mentioned that. He had done uh, that. Uh, Dylan had done some Judge Dread up top, and I yeah, was like, you guys brief, briefly alluded fucking... to it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, we need to read some fucking Dread because I, yeah, I'm like Jared. It's like my my understanding of it is mostly the new film I've seen. I haven't seen the first one in a long time, and I see really cool thumbnails and clip like clips of panels of Judge Dread being fucking awesome. But I, you know, I never. Haven't really like jumped into it, and this is a completely different kind of comic book than I thought it was. Oh yeah, uh, like I'll say that. Yeah, I was picturing something I, totally different. I was going through it today, and I texted Chris, uh, "Why, God?" Because we were talking about this and the movie and uh, movies, and I was like, "Why didn't Paul Verhoeven oh, adapt right? this? This would have been the perfect Paul Verhoeven movie." And Chris was like, "Well, he did RoboCop," but to me. Like, this is, like, Verhoeven in a three-dimensional right. thing. I mean, in some sense, I was... the the That podcast, Chapo Trap House, turned me on to the thing about Verhoeven, especially in movies like Starship Troopers. And that's really interesting about what he's doing there is that, like, it's not just satirical. The idea is Starship Troopers is a movie made, like, from the perspective of fascists. In other words, it's the movie that fascists would make. If from that society. It's a science fiction triumph um, of will, yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Very similar here, where this feel has that feeling. So it's not just satirical, but it also feels like um, something that people, like, I guess, the propaganda ministers of the Department of Justice would make, or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, I was, uh, when I finally got this in the mail, and I was reading it, I was kind of ambivalent about, like, having suggested, I was like, you know, shit, I mean... These stories don't really have, like, a lot of good character development. You guys are talking about Swamp Thing and, like, Moon Knight <laughs> with all these, like, you know, complex personality issues. And Dr- Judge Dredd's just, like, straight-up smoking dudes left and right. But there's not there's not a lot going on, like, mentally or emotionally. But <laughs> on the other hand, I was like, well, Judge Dredd was this kind of um, 
cultivation factory for a lot of comic books y'all do like, like Garth Ennis and right. uh, Checks Notes. Um, Alan Moore worked <laughs> on 2000 yep. AD a lot, not Judge Dredd, but other ones. And uh, Boyland, oh, yeah. I think, worked on um, some Batman stuff. Not the Killing Joke, but another one. So no, I think didn't he do the Killing Joke? No, he he may, may have. Maybe See, not, I haven't read that one. Something so like yeah. Um, no, he's. I mean, he's a brilliant artist. It's. It is like. Uh, I so much so that I was a little bummed that he's not the artist for everything in this. But that's you know you can only ask for so much. Um, I think you're right, by the way, that this isn't very character driven, but I think that that's, it's a object lesson. And the fact that that's not really how writing works. There are some things that need that. A a good example uh, is that this is not a plot heavy comic plot is actually really, you know, usually when I do like a, um, kind of outline or something like that, you can see how plot heavy a thing is by how many points have to be in this. I had like four points, but what happens instead of plot, what keeps us entertained is I think world building. Mm-hmm. Um, Transmetro did this a lot too, where it's like you had so many panels of things that weren't really important to like the major events. Instead, they were sort of like various perspectives on, you know, sort of like fly on the wall things that were going on in that world that give you, you know, add to the satire. Yeah. You know, show different TV shows that might exist in that world or or like a, an example of like day in the life violence in this case of, of like a cop against a citizen or something like that, but not plot in the same way that I don't think character is as important here. It's far more important like what like what he is as a symbol. He's a like I think oftentimes, you know, if a thing isn't going to be deeply realistic at a subjective level, like because people aren't symbols, right? People are fucking people. Right. But they're amping the other thing up way more, which is like he he is he is the law. I am the law. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I am the law. Yeah. I, I okay. This kind of reminds me of like uh sort of the the hard sci-fi equivalent of like stuff I used to read in like Dragon magazine and shit. And like this honestly right. uh there, there well, Hold be- on. To be clear, Dragon as in like um, like a uh, like a flight, uh, like a, a lizard mystical thing, or drag like like um, drag race, like dragon. Like oh no no dragon, drag. like with a winged oh, okay. reptile no, creature. Like, I'm sorry, I was I was really trying to make a Wendell is gay yeah. joke, and it didn't. No, I know, no, no. I, well, it didn't I, hit I like, quick it, enough. It's the kind of thing Matthew <laughs> I was, I was, McConaughey. Like, fights, I thought you were not... gonna get there. Yeah, yeah, I thought the I thought the punchline was coming a lot faster, and then when it didn't, yeah. I was like, oh, I think he yeah. really is confused. About, <laughs> no, I missed um, it. No, yeah. Yeah, about what kind of magazine? I tripped uh, over my own ambitions there. Go <laughs> ahead, sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, barring that long walk. Um, mm-hmm. Long uh, walk. No, nice yeah, reference. Like it, 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. it it uh, it reminds me of that sort of thing, and I like okay. I think I very clearly understood that this is like this would make a great uh, tabletop. RPG setting, you know, like Warhammer or something, you know, like this is a world that's right. like very militarized and I, you know what, like it's crazy how much I came to love all the shit that I hated about it at first, like the like the design of their costumes and maybe like uh, certain Ill, like uh, like artistic styles. Uh, I didn't really care for the second style as much, but then mm. I grew to dig it because. It shined in ways that it, the first one didn't, you know, like showing more of the large scale stuff. Um, and yeah, like 
there's a lot of inside jokes that I feel like I'm missing. Like, we, I guess it's a running thing that we'll never see Dredd's face. I don't know. Is that kind of a... You, you never, you I never don't know see that it. It's a, I, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's a joke so much as it's sort of about him being kind of uh, kind of abstract and representing yeah. like you know law enforcement or authority you know more than anything he's supposed to be kind of anonymous or whatever um going back to what you said though about this world i do think you see this specific kind of world a lot and this is a really good version of it um you know what i mean like this the sort of post apocalyptic and lived in future mm-hmm. it sort of combines both of those things like it has some mad max feel yeah um, and yeah. it's interesting too because like i like that this setting is both like just sort of rich and and so you can like do a lot of things tell a lot of stories inside of it you can see why it's attractive but it also has aspects that i think feed into the satire a little bit one of the things i love and it's i marked it down about how this works is how advanced the technology is and how everybody's life is still awful yeah which from a political perspective, I love because there is a sort of like messianic way of thinking about technology where you have all these anxieties about the bad political situations and no political plan to get out of them. But you can imagine if we, oh, we're going to invent a thing, we'll call it the internet or whatever, and it'll democratize stuff. And then that in, in I think, in effect, almost never works. But I love that this is already like, yeah, like we would have you know, medicine that would instantly fix your broken arm and we would have space travel and we'd be able to control the weather. But also there would be insanely poor people that are killed millions. Like we still, oh, we're not going to get rid of genocide. So I just think that's really smart. We're we're still, we have a place called the flea pit where we put all them poor people. (laughs) Like we don't even give them the dignity of, of like naming it after a a seventies sitcom character. (laughs) Yeah. It has this has District Nine energy, mm-hmm. yeah, in that way for sure. Um, before we get into the comic a little bit more, there's one last thing I wanted to say about um, the notion of like satire itself, especially in terms of fascism, in terms of war, in terms of violence. I think what's really interesting is there's a question about like one, why do it, and some people think it's deeply disrespectful and stuff. And I, I actually think there's something way more interesting about it. I think that it's one of the only ways you can accurately depict violence um, at a pretty deep cognitive level, which is like, you can almost think of it like an optic illusion, but a cognitive one, which is that we actually have a really hard time thinking about violence and horror. Um, we think we think about it, but we actually don't quite a bit. So a good example, it's how you can, in like, let's say the Iraq war, kill a million people, and then the people that did it, where there's not even an attempt, even though it's like for the most venal and obvious reasons, there's not an attempt to do anything about it. And it's not because we don't care, it's because like, we actually don't like think confronting that much horror. Think of this like a scenario where, and I'm going to get a little dark, but like, it's about murder. So let, let's get into it. Um, imagine if you're at a party... And there's a corpse in the room. It's discovered in the middle of the party. It doesn't just change the temperature of the room. People start vomiting. They cry. Some people might pass out. They'd leave it. They would talk about it for the rest of their lives. This is one dead person. Um, So that level of horror, if you sort of multiply it, multiply it, people aren't really equipped psychologically to deal with that. And so there's all kinds of ways to put it at the periphery of consciousness and stuff like that. So one, so how do you get at it, right? How do you actually depict violence in a way that actually people confront with it, have to confront it? One is you morally narrativize it. So 
Riggs shoots a bunch of people, but they were the bad people, and he's the good person and stuff like that. But there's a dishonesty to that. There's a danger to it. And the point I'm making is that another way you can do, you can really get at it is you can make it funny and you can satirize it. You can give it this, you know, hyper reality patina. And I think in this weird way, Judge Dredd, this comic is making fun of, or I'm not making fun of strong, but like, it's really silly about its genocide. But in other ways, I think that like, it would be, you'd have to do a three hour Ken Burns documentary or, you know, a, um, a Spielberg Holocaust biopic that is sprawling and has its piano notes just correct so people could even think about it. Dude, this, I think, is is actually really sophisticated. Yeah, like, I felt like I was playing Command and Conquer or, like, like an old-time, real-time mm-hmm. strategy. I was just playing it from the ground because, like, that was, like, this story plays out like a war, like a, like a World War II flick, pretty much. Like, a, right. like as far as showing how a battle like how the battle moves back and forth across the city and right uh but but what i guess what i'm saying is like there's a, something about the silliness that like makes it a little bit more political and a little bit more politically engaged and a good example of that is that like there's a way that you have the scene in saving private ryan um that spielberg does right where you kind of a- make it apolitical right you just have the d-day invasion it's very straight it's very accurate but you can narrativize it however you want because you're just watching this epic thing that happened with no thing. But instead of the score that they used, let's imagine somebody used the Benny Hill song. <laughs> like that <laughs> Benny Hill song in the back of it. Now, I'm not saying that you would know exactly what it was saying, but it instantly gives it kind of like an intentionality, a political meaning or whatever. You do this same story and you just make it straight across the plate. Um, like the movie, like like a great example is the 2012 movie. It's just gritty and stuff like that. And I think that people don't experience it as political at all. They just watch it as like this gritty, badass John McClane kind of thing, because that's what it is. But you make it like the comic is. You make it silly. You put comic beats in it, and now it registers way more as like real political commentary, even if it's not like kind of literal political commentary. Yeah, it's like with stand-up. You're able to deliver political points or moral points in the joke that you know people wouldn't necessarily listen to if you just were giving them a lecture on morality or like political uh science yeah yeah it's way more digestible um or you can do what i did which is like do really bad stand-up and have thinly veiled political points that people don't like but anyway um but yeah okay so anybody got anything else they want to talk about just sort of in terms of the general sort of Judge Dredd world or anything like that? Uh, Let me just say one thing. So the idea for Judge Dredd came from... So they had these British comics like 2000 AD and they were geared towards kids and there'd be these cool movies that would come out like Jaws or Dirty Harry or Death Race 2000 and the kids weren't young enough to see them. So the editors of these comics would encourage the writers to do like a what they called a dead crib, which is like... Dead is in dead. No. Yeah, sounds awful. Dead is in dead on, and crib is into steel. So a dead, like a oh, a like perfect copy of what you saw. So there's a a British comic in at the same time called Hookjaw, where this monster shark just goes around like killing people with a giant hook in his teeth, which is like Jaws for kids. They put it in the comic book. So Judge Dredd <laughs> is basically like Pat Mills giving them the idea. Well, do Dirty Harry just you know, make it for kids. So that's where kind of where right. the idea came from. 
that's really smart. And incidentally, I'm experiencing a very similar, you said dead crib is the idea. I'm experiencing that because I'm now watching the Twilight Zone and I'm like, oh, it's it's a treehouse of horror. (laughs) Like I didn't realize that almost every treehouse of horror is just a famous Twilight Zone. I knew some of the, there were some references. I didn't realize that almost all of them or until the recent ones, but the classic, like the first like twelve years or so of The Simpsons, is like uh, almost all of those things are, you know, or many, many. Let's say. Speak, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I watched uh, a few mm-hmm. episodes from like season three through six, just like random ones, and I forgot how good it is. Um, the recent ones seem kind mm-hmm. of like South Park; it's just topical stuff. But the early ones really are good. But not to get off topic. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I, I mean, it's just like that's manifest the fiber of my basic reality is like the first 14 or so seasons honestly of the simpsons mm-hmm. is just the best television that was ever made yeah and totally created my like sense of humor or whatever i mean like everybody my age I yeah a bunch like of harvard age. nerds really fucking set high goals for me as far as <laughs> but it's like harvard nerds that maybe were a little ashamed of being from harvard or whatever you said actually on the show you were surprised that harvard people did something like that yeah. i actually think they're People who have that education are really uh, self-conscious about their privilege and so would rather be making like fart and dick jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like one of you guys, right? Like a normal person? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's funny because like Mr. Burns serves as like a dig at Princeton. I don't know if you ever like, right. or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Yale. I can't remember. It's one of those two. And I think it's Yale. Yeah. Yeah. Yale. yeah. He's always, yeah. I don't know, just to, they use him a lot of the times to shit on their football team and stuff like that. Right. Uh, but anyways, sorry. Uh, uh, that's the problem I have with uh, Yale, the football the team. The football team. Anyway. Okay. Uh, just real quick. Uh, yeah, has so, anybody so, actually yeah, been to an Ivy League football game? Oh my no, god! It's like it, a joke. It's like does it? Is it's it like going to a high school game? Like I saw a Brown and Princeton <laughs> game, and it's just it's they're not picked for their athletic ability, really. They're it's they, flag football. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it would be great if you went and it was like, oh, we're gonna see, uh, you know, Ivy League football game, and it was just fencing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the same sport. They do it on um, horses. Yeah. So okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, I, you just invented a sport yeah, I need to see. That, uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, but anyway, okay, so let's get into the comic. Yeah, let me. Okay, let me go, go check on my okay. wife and do that real quick. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, and then I realized, Chris, also uh, that in my notes I didn't finish the. St- story outline i thought i did but i realized they only did it for block mania it's really short uh outline so just basically help me um like when we go through the apocalypse war especially like just help me figure out the thing that happened yes yeah, yeah then now it can be very rough and conversational sure. not a big deal hmm. so i mean did you like it i mean what did you think about it like i love it i love it well uh i yeah i guess i didn't really like um what do you call it? Like, I didn't say explicitly. Um, and I'm usually emphatic when I describe things, but no, I, I love this. I think it's great. I mean, I had a sense that I would based on like, not just your recommendation, but it's, it's got a pretty high esteem. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is, so it's like, there's a bunch of characters that are sort of like, um, like the public kind of, zeitgeist of of the culture sort of stuff like perennial and they're kind of open to interpretation from everybody and their themes are very general right. so like spider-man yeah 
or uh, the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. And and you can you can really bring those up to quasi high art and, and literature. But generally speaking, but this is one of those things that like almost everybody understands is got a kind of political or like subversive significance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I already thought like, okay, I'm probably gonna appreciate this or whatever but it did not it didn't disappoint and i'll say it exceeded my expectations because i didn't one i didn't know uh how like knowing and self-aware the the satire was like i kind of thought the character was basically satirical mm-hmm. um but it, we would just see him do punisher right. shit like the comics would just feel like punisher yeah. or something like that i didn't realize that everything is sort of i don't mean like it's all like you know an, like an allegory like you can connect each thing to a thing but just that it has that constant feeling of of criticism and and you know kind of fuck you to to authority in a certain yeah way. yeah it's, it's really heavy in there the the satirical um thing i think that's almost more of a british thing um to do humor that way yeah 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 sarcasm i think is yeah you're right um it's also like uh another thing i don't say this as we go but oh like another thing that i was like really impressed with is just like it's actually also good in the literal end which is the thing that people forget it's almost, i almost think it's essential mm-hmm. and but you know it's it's obviously so i'll just say that now um like one thing i will say also before we go too much further is that like um because i've mentioned a lot that this is satire and and i didn't know that and it's really impressive i think another thing that's really important to satire that you get here and we're going to go through it is that like it also has to have a good main story like it's sort of how in comedy acting a lot of times the most you have they have to play it straight in a certain way yeah. like the you have to make your character believably believe in the absurd shit in a similar way despite all this crazy satire and stuff like that this is a really just fun action book yeah yeah like it's just a, a good war comic at at times yeah um, it it makes sense the way like you wouldn't really see you don't see comic comics done like this a lot because of the format that you normally read comics in like this right this this format of like showing like one small win on the battlefield per issue or per back you know like right. you know it, per volume or what or however it's broken out is is a really it, it changes the way you're going to tell this story and this is the perfect type of story for it i i think like where it's yeah it's right. just a long scale battle mm-hmm um yeah yeah i see what you're saying like because it's this kind of like in at least these like i i know that's not the case for all judge dread comics but what we we read because it has this sort of it's this war epic feel or whatever uh you it's a good way like a good format to have it this short because you can just sort of do different little bits of the skirmish or like parts of the mission or something um oh yeah and one last thing right and uh before and uh, before we go on to actual actually tackle the story, let's talk about the art. And I'll tell you what, uh, the, so far in our discussion, uh, it sort of proves why we take a moment to talk specifically about the art because we haven't, we've barely touched on it. And the art in this book, um, I'll say it, a lot of the times, that's is amazing. Now, um, I, I want to ask you guys what you thought about it, but I have to say, I, I respect Escara. I, I like a lot of aspects of it, but it is sort of my, he's my least favorite artist in this. As the creator, I have to give it up to him, but I think the problem is he's, I have to compare him to some of the other pencilers and that worked on this, who to me are just amazing. It has not gotten better 
this is early Steve Dillon. This is Brian Boland. It's just really good shit. Yeah. Um, so when we get into the Apocalypse War with Escara, yeah, it felt like a step down. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the the composition of the panels was also really good, but it, the art is not as good as like your opening with uh, uh, Mike Mahone. I mean, you just got a lot of stuff going on in here, and just the details of the faces. They all look like, at least in his, they look like these medieval peasants that are just in the city. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I think the, the block war <coughs> artists are, are, are a bit better than the apocalypse. Yeah. One. I, and, and go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't know about you guys, but I found a colored version, um, that is amazing. <laughs> I like, I like, I, 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 I know that this is normally a black and white comic for the most part, yeah. at least, especially like in its initial run, but like whatever, uh, whatever trade paperback I found on uh, online, I got this colored uh, edition, and it is. It really, really makes the first artists shine. I think, and yeah, it's, it's Escada. Yeah, he does that. I bum me out. I got into it. I, I I've warmed yeah, up to it over over the time. Like it just yeah. Uh, I I love the art of the first one of Block Mania. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually, I think Brian Boland's my favorite person here. He wasn't. He did a lot of the earlier stuff in this volume that we have. So I should say, I think Chris and I are reading from the same one, which is why we read it in the original uh, black and white. And I probably would have done that intentionally, but I didn't really have a strong stance about it. It just so happened we got the original. Um, we read it from Judge Dredd, the complete case files. Uh, volume five that shows you how many there are of this. And it, what we read takes this is a really thick sort of. Uh, son of a bitch and we it's about almost maybe three-fifths of of the entire volume brian boland does a lot of this stuff earlier i think you're absolutely right by the way about uh mike mahone or, or what however you pronounce his name um because his art feels very much like what i associate with a lot of like heavy metal magazine mm-hmm. um there's a guy nick klein yeah. that has a very similar style it's rough but precise whereas brian boland and i think steven steve dylan at this point uh, way more polished and lucid. And I have to say, the thing that I think maybe, because I've seen uh, uh, Scarra's work before he did a thing with Garth Ennis called Just a Pilgrim. I, I know I've seen other stuff as well. Um, I think his inking got better. Um, I think what it is, I, I, if you go back, I don't think he's a very sophisticated inker. It didn't bring out his pencils in the same way, whereas Brian Boland is a fantastic inker. And what you can see there too, it, his style has a way more like sculptural three-dimensional feel in ways that it, it becomes more sort of cartoony. Now I'll also say, because I don't want to insult the guy because he is really, really talented as in terms of just telling a visual story, it's masterful. He's very good at it. I just don't like the necessarily look of the designs and the style as much, but man, it's still, the reason this is so readable. We talked about how fast this reads is because everybody, including his is just really good at like, making a fluid set of like moving pictures happen in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like if you look at the first <clears throat> two pages of uh, the apocalypse war, you just have like this, you're opening with this epic story. You got the Soviet faces on the one side and then you got judge dread, like dominating mm-hmm. the panel on the other side is setting you up for a very big battle. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other thing about it too, it is a lot of what I said before is really subjective. Like, in other words, like, I mean, sometimes I'm trying to describe something with a little bit more objective precision if I can. But in this case, it's like, just like you mentioned, this panel that you're talking about, this this uh, splash page, um, 
is still like a lot of really um, specific choices. Like, in other words, it's like it's not like he can't make more anatomically accurate faces. He's just not in this case for you know because it's his style. And there are obviously people that oh, that is exactly what they want to see. Um, it's still great shit. But anyway, yeah. Um, I I think also you read it in color. Wendell, I think maybe color probably help would help his stuff better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see uh, that. I, I, I definitely think it does. Um, I would have, because honestly, I, like when I got to that, it reminded me. I can't remember. Maybe it, it was like an Aliens versus Predator comic that I read when I was a kid. Like, because those used to kind of get tossed to uh, like newer uh, hungry artists or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. I was just like, it, there's this dirty '80s thing to it that I like I, I was I felt jar was jarring at first in the transition, but then I was just like, this like it's ugly in the way this story is. Right. And Yeah, that's a really good point. Like you can see that he's like it I again I don't maybe this is how it, I think his style is sort of always like that. But you're right, it does suit the like grim and dark and rough post apocalyptic world or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, absolutely. Okay, so let, let's talk about the story, of which there isn't much of one. No, no, <laughs> there's still a, 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 a pretty strong narrative. But I, I think one, um, to be fair, uh, we are reading in the middle of a well-established, like I said, we're, this is begins for our collection with like volume five of some like omnibus-sized books. So it's not like we started reading something that was, you know, originary and telling the first story and, and breaking stuff down for you. It kind of hits the ground running. That being said, I've never read other Judge Dredd comics and I had seen the movie, sure, but I think that you kind of, the strong visual language of this, you know what it is without being told what it is. They look, they're, you know, they have strong fascisty cop like looks. You just get it. Uh, and the way this begins is that for some reason, um, Mega City One, which is the larger sort of like, it's almost like a post-apocalyptic Athens. It's a massive sort of city-state that's like the size of the eastern seaboard. And it's populated by these mega blocks with these giant, almost themselves, city-sized buildings. Um, and those buildings, those blocks, begin to go to war with one another. And by the way, in the beginning, I didn't know that this was going to have a reason. I just thought this was like a very cynical view of the rabble from a fascist perspective or something. It's like, you know, crazy, stupid, poor people in there in the future. They just got to fight. <laughs> well, I mean, they it, it, through the Judge Dredd comics, they do have these block wars for not, you know, great reasons. I mean, it, it is a regular occurrence. Right, they started okay. out saying, you know, block wars are common. But yeah, this one has a much deeper cause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's a great point because the idea is like at first there's a block war uh between these two blocks that have i can't remember the specific ones but it's like the uh gary sinise and roddy mcdowell yeah. block or whatever <laughs> like random blocks they have um and the judges are responding and then these things just start like happening over uh they're just more cases pop up yeah. and that's when they sort of realize Something larger is happening, then they're calling it block mania. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, so the, I'm sorry, Quindle. Uh, so the two blocks no, is yeah, Dantana, which you figured out is a 70s like yeah. police show in Las Vegas. And then the other one, Makes sense. For, it's humorous to the British people. It's Enid Blyton. She is like um, 
a slightly later Beatrix Potter. She just did these really beloved stories for children, and that's who the gotcha. two blocks are. Yeah. Nice. That is funny, because like, it's going to be people murdering each other over it. I I love the concept of a of a madness of like a widespread hysteria that is like based around civic pride. Like, like how, like <laughs> just what a weird thing to start spreading all over the city. is just people defending their, just repping their set to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah. It makes more sense from, for British people too, I think, because like, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of an Anglophile, but I don't know that much or as much as I could, I guess. But like, there is a kind of regionality that exists like from street to street on that Island. Okay. Like there's just far, <laughs> like there's some more sort of identities I think that exist and have, uh, you know, kind of violent expression through things like, you know, uh, football matches and, and that kind of like, you know, Liverpudlians versus people from Manchester. Right. Like, I think they're called, uh, man, Manchurians, by the way, which I think is... Anyway, Fun. so I think there's some sense of, like, you know... Uh, and, and also, I think it's funny, too. I think giving them names, like, from these 70s, like, you know, silly cultural institutions or figures or whatever, and that's who you're killing each other over does kind of have a satirical bend to it. Like, where it's like, why the fuck do I... Why am I caring about this team I'm on and beating the shit out of or even killing... The people on the other team, like just you know, it's ridiculous, like tribalism and and mascots. Yeah, and, I mean, for the and, Brits, it may hit harder the satirical aspect because yeah, the, the soccer hooligans do kill each other sometimes over uh, football matches. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and just real quick because I I I somehow know this. We do have a listener in Manchester, and I think Manchurians is a cool name, and I think you guys should keep doing right. that. That's a cool, fun thing. Yeah, yeah. If you're a if you're a Manchester listener, please tell us, And because I've also heard Mancoons, but maybe it's completely... All right. Like, I'm just yeah. totally uh, got my <laughs> wires crossed or something like that. But anyway, yeah, so very cool on that end. Um, the judges go to respond, and then it just, things explode. And the way our comic book here the way our story works is like it's kind of them responding in violent fashion to these various like outbreaks and we get to see exactly how the judges um you know exact their justice and it's not it's a pretty not only obviously violent and extrajudicial or or it's funny because their judicial is the extrajudicial judicial right um but also it's it's like irrespective of any giving a shit about the population, you mentioned that, Wendell, the population is not a political character, in a sense. Like, they're not political right. agents of this. They're, as several times over our story, that the participants are like, the public, why should they care? Fuck the public. Yeah, or whatever, cowards. You know? It's like if you watch CNN. That's the attitude <laughs> yeah. that they usually have. Yeah, the judges basically exist to perpetuate themselves at this point. It's... The uh, Jared and I were talking about this off the show, but the the citizens are like a HELOC class. They're just kind of an irrelevant like rabble that exists. But the judges exist to just be themselves and be in charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, under their own belief, that seems pretty unjustified based on what their the consequences of their tactics. Under their own belief that like they're the only thing stopping chaos from taking over. They're they're imposing their order. But the thing is, I mean, it's very clear, like, you know, idiot could pick this up. Their order is actually quite catastrophic. Like, it's, you know, the people are living deep poverty. Like, they don't prevent that. You know, they just sort of, and they, and they're, when they have to fight the bad guys, you know, if literally, I mean, we're going to 
we're going to talk about a story that has literally genocidal scope. But even in the, there's this sort of like early, more domestic politics kind of sense. Like, yeah, I mean, like maybe a, a fucking bus full of nuns got to explode, you know, for me to get this jaywalker. Or okay. And I, I think I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna point this question at Blaker. Um, okay. Do is there are there stories where you get to see Judge Dredd's home life because the little glimpses uh, that this story gives me really makes me want to see Judge Dredd just gotta like go home and kick his boots off and his cute Elmer Fudd robot fucking make him a chamomile or something you know i i haven't read enough of them to say i mean you you see maria the landlady the you know ridiculous italian stereotype and then you mm-hmm. he also has the robot but um what i've read i don't get to see his domestic life but this stuff's been going on for 45 years so they must show it at some point just for giggles basically yeah well, so what, from what I've read, there are a couple of instances where they show him as a kid and you see his face, but obviously very genericized and, and things like that. And as a matter of fact, early on, apparently uh, Mike Mahone drew him as a black man. Like it wasn't in color and it was open interpretation. So he was just drawing what he thought. Um, but like for him, this is a black man I'm drawing or something like that. That was later on sort of taken out. But I think that there, so initially, apparently it was just sort of a guideline that they would never show Dredd's face, because that's not the point, right? Like, so in other words, that thing I mentioned before about um, that he's meant to be more of a, a abstract idea, a, a kind of representative of, an, of a concept, um, that's not just like my, oh, I thought of this. That is actually kind of an explicit aspect of it. And now it's a rule. They'll never show his face. Um, yeah, it's like Superman never so, kills. It's just whatever... <laughs> well... Unless sometimes in a movie, unless, he might have does, to do okay. it. Unless somebody I won't turn their laser eyes off. But he doesn't kill yeah, in yeah. comics, yeah, exactly. right? I mean, has he ever killed anybody? He has a, a couple of times, I think. Um, he's not like Batman. No, I mean, you're you're not uh, preaching to the converted and knocking on an open door. Uh, most people would say Superman not only doesn't, but shouldn't kill Um yeah, but to your point. I didn't oh, mean yeah. To, and you, oh, sorry, you mentioned the race. You mentioned the race thing. So yeah, uh, Mahone made him uh, black for a little while, and then as Kira, who started the character, drew Dread de- deliberately with like thicker lips to kind of suggest maybe he was like a uh, mixed race. But yeah, he's almost ninety percent of the time he's drawn as white for uh, basically I think because the Brits are over- predominantly a white society, and this is yeah just who they have. Yeah, plus I think it's like if it's up to, for anybody's guess and then eventually this comes out in color and whatever choice they make at that point, whoever was on that, it's like that's probably going to make it concrete. Right. Well, let me ask you guys this because I did get access to a colored uh, version. Uh, did Judge Giant, which is uh, which is, that guy is introduced um, in, in Black Mania, uh, did Judge Giant read his black to you oh, guys? Oh, yeah, 100%. He, he's, he's explicitly yeah, yeah. black, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, he was I the only one. That, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Okay. He. Yeah. He's. He is the only black uh, judge that I think is indicated visually in the story. Um, and he dies. I didn't notice early. it. I. I read him as Macedonian. He's Macedonian <laughs> now, uh, because you'll find that my racial perceptions are both precise and <laughs> arbitrary. <laughs> so, you know. Um, All right. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I, back to our yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, no, no. no. I oh, was going to say, like, to kind of move it along a little bit. Um, I, I just want to jump on 
this uh, this character introduction um, that again leads me to think Judge Dredd plays poker with this guy or something. But that that Gomez Adams pimp of his what right, is right, right. Max uh, Normal champ- is it like Joey Champagne or something? I thought you were talking about Max Normal, the guy in the Max the, Normal. Oh yes, yeah, that's who I'm talking about. His, it's his it's his informant. It's his yeah. huggy bear. Oh, I know, I know, but I just. The way they talk to each other is kind of funny. It's like the only time I've seen him respected, uh, like a not cop when he's talking to him, like and it's, right. And I, I don't know. I just feel like there's probably some cute buddy stories with them uh, somewhere. This is this also goes back to like I, I mentioned before. This is just in the middle of a really long-standing comic book because also we get that robot character later on yeah. and Dread's Walter. landlady and fa- I mean very clear. You just pick it up that they're they were from earlier stories and and now they appear in this or whatever. I assume he's kind of, you know, along those lines or whatever. And actually in this case kind of does a little bit of exposition. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because we do sort of, I'm sorry, the robot or, uh, Stallone, not Stallone's, uh, dreads, uh, robot. He comes up earlier in, um, volume one of judge dread. He, um, there's a robot uprising, uh, a carpenter robot called call me Kenneth. Uh, overthrows the judges and uh, starts enslaving <laughs> the humans and becomes almost like a Hitler sort of character. Um, and Judd Dredd's robot, um, what is his name? Um, Walter. Walter. Thank you. Yeah, Walter. He. Uh, it might be Walter. Ra- Walter. <laughs> he helps Dredd overthrow. Uh, call me Kenneth. So yeah, he's a recurring character from from the beginning. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and. Um, so so in to return to our story, I guess like they figure out uh, that there is this terrorist named I think Orlock or something to that Orlock, effect. Yeah, yeah. Orlock, yeah, Orlock, who's um, plant who who basically contaminated the water supply, uh, and is why everybody's just going insane. It's sort of like that scene in um, what is it, a Kingsman, with yeah. the radio or yeah. the signal that turns everybody insane, and Colin Firth gets to kill a church, whatever. Anyway. So it was kind of like that. Um, and honestly, I have to say, this couldn't have happened earlier for me. Or like, this happened, sorry, this happened just in the, the nick of time for me. Because I, I don't want to say the comic got boring or whatever, but like, you can only do that so long that kind of like, let's just see the world and see a bunch of sort of events that don't connect to a major narrative. I, and this so almost goes back to my curiosity about like, you know, yeah, this is a critique of fascism, but... I like the parts where Judge Dredd all of a sudden sort of becomes a major protagonist and then like moves our story along. Yeah. So in this story, him chasing Orlock and fighting, which is actually Steve, Steve Dillon, um, like he, Steve yeah. Dillon did the art. It's my favorite part of, of Black Mania. Mm-hmm. Like I just like, like it's good. I think the story sort of, you know, kind of goes into a more linear, like it's just him versus the bad guy place. I like their... Uh, Mel Gibson, Gary Busey, end of Lethal Weapon yeah. one fight that they have. Yeah, um, it's just a really strong moment for Your me. It's really cool, and it reminds yeah. us like, oh yeah, yeah, he fucking Judge Dredd is a badass. Yeah, the art and that fight you're referring to, where they're in the water and Orlock and Dredd are going at it, is just terrific visual storytelling. They're just like really kicking the hell out of each other. I really enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he stomps down on him, like <laughs> that being like his entrance to it, I was like, ah, oh, this is. Because, I mean, because up to that point, Orlock had already killed, like, six other judges. So, like, this is yeah. the first time I understand who Dredd is in the in the world of judges, you know? Where it's like, oh, yeah, he's Very the one true. that just gets fucking results, no matter what. 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's basically yeah, really like point. Batman. I mean, I don't think he has any superpowers per se ever, but um, although there are psychic judges in, in this world, um, he's just a badass, but he doesn't have any like extra thing going on. Yeah. But I do think that like he is standout in this world. And it is interesting because like you do get the sense one that judges are are themselves like a, a one man army generally. Like it's sort of like the uh what do they call like, like Spartans from Halo? from the Matrix. What are uh, they called? Agents? Yeah, the agents from the Matrix, where it's like unto themselves, if one appears like, oh he's a badass, and then you know, dread is like a cut above from that because the other thing I was surprised when I was reading this, agents are sorry, agents. God damn it, uh, judges are dying left and right in this. Mm-hmm. Like they just get. I mean, maybe it, I'll ask you, Chris, because you've read more of this. Is it just this story where they're like, "Oh shit, uh, judges are dying," or is it pretty common in your reading where like judges are, are you know, there's like six of them with dread and they all die and he makes yeah. it out? They're not quite stormtroopers, but you get kind of a stormtrooper vibe from the other other judges in other stories. They're they're getting killed left and right. Like they get killed often, but yeah, Dread just they can't touch him. He's the yeah. Darth Vader it to funny... the rest of the judges being stormtroopers. I would say. Nice. Oh, that well, that's extreme, and and that is a, I can't remember who said this. It's like the Ninja Principle. I've talked about it on the show before, but like it's basically what happens in comics. The more of a thing you have, the less powerful it becomes. So one ninja like might fight Wolverine evenly, but like if you get fifty ninjas, they become made of cookie mm. dough. Yeah. Um Green Lanterns are similar. Kryptonians can be that way. The more uh, an army of a thing is all it's like it's like there's one amount of power for each kind of thing. And like so fifty ninjas and one ninja, they have the same amount of energy. <laughs> It yeah. like remains constant or something like that. Yeah, um, applies to judges, and basically the way our story and this, by the way, did not know where this was going. Did not know why we read two stories. Did not and they were connected. So it was a pretty cool, uh, not misdirect, but connection that he find they f- capture Orlock, um, Dread arrests him, which is rare for Dread. That an arrest takes place. They take him back to interrogation, and we find out. They just sowed these seeds of chemical discord so they could set things up like he was just working for the Soviets, or I keep saying the Soviets, that it's basically the Soviets, can start a fucking uh, nuclear war. Yeah, the East Meg. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's like, explicitly mm-hmm. the Soviets. They say Sov, so yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am just saying it's like not technically the Soviet Union anymore, but yeah. Um, the uh, Ruskies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to mention real quick how impressed Please. I was with the with like the accuracy of some of the science in this. Like when they were talking about the weather control station, they were talking about cloud seeding and stuff like that. I was I kind of thought the concept of cloud seeding was sort of a newer thing or whatever. That just seems oh, yeah, like Wendell very... believes in chemtrails. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know. No, but I I don't know. I I didn't know that like that technology was really being even talked about at the time. Uh, but like the idea of getting a contaminant in a world where the weather is controlled and like on a schedule or whatever, getting a contaminant out by having it rain on everyone is, I would like, I was like, man, this is, these stories do a really good job of making sure the stakes are very fucking real. Like they losses are huge. Uh, like I, 
I don't think I was getting very bored. I was just like, holy shit. So everybody's fucked, huh? Like, everybody's dead. Like, I had to learn to stop caring about the people of this city. Um, yeah, I, I almost want to push back a little bit because I think I think you're right in the abstract, like, that the stakes are literally, like, as high as they could get. But there is a sense where it, it becomes kind of... You get numb to it where it's like, Oh, they kill. So we might as well say the the Soviets having you know weakened uh, Mega City One from the inside with this like you know these all this sort of like I don't know, domestic discord or whatever. This little black to black civil war. Um, they launch nukes and instantly kill something like fifteen percent of the population, which is like a hundred million people or something like that. Yeah, we see um, so many fucking mushroom clouds in this like in yeah. the beginning of this thing. It's in the aftermath. Um, I think the bad science of this is I think that that would kill everybody on the planet because uh, my understanding is that like the danger of, of a nuclear or which is something we have to think about now because our government is trying to create one with <laughs> Russia or whatever. But like that um, it's the burning that's caused the burning of all these cities that, that, that a nuclear war would precipitate uh, would create a nuclear winter and that would wipe out most of the life on earth. So it isn't actually just, you know, bombs blow it. Like you see in like cartoons where it's just, or actually in this we see, which is a great scene. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but where a uh, counter earth is essentially annihilated. It's one of my favorite parts. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. It's just but, so such a kick in the nuts. It's just these poor people. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so, we'll get to it, I guess, but like, so in other words, like, it's not just the massive energy and burning and explosion, but, but if you destroy enough cities, uh, you make them burn that way, then you'll kill the world or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> lest you thought we could evade a nuclear annihilation. Um, but yeah, and then they launched the, the, um, East Meg Soves or whatever, uh, do an invasion and now we've basically got Judge Dread meets Red Dawn. That's exactly yeah. you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, there's a lot of Red Dawn stuff going on in this second part of the story. Yeah. Um, um, did you guys feel at all that this was like okay? Now we're outside of the concept a little bit, not to the degree I didn't like, but it's like usually you know Judge Dread is like the law, like he's a police, you know proxy or, or whatever or the gestapo or the stasi or something but the in this now he becomes more of a kind of like not only soldier but he's kind of half general yeah in this book yeah i see that's the thing is like there are people that i i think are very explicitly above him in some hierarchy or whatever yeah that are still alive when he is going like no matter what they're just like hey get dread in here we gotta ask texas for help you know, like, or whatever, you know, and it's... At one point, he actually gives the order to launch the missiles. Mm-hmm. No, you know what I mean? James, <laughs> like, like his, his arm reaches across two panels to bang on this button, right. and it's so good. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't, everybody looks to him, even when, like, the chief judge supreme or whatever is still alive, like, they're Nick Fury, dude. Uh, part of that may be Dredd's uh, backstory. He is the... Him and his evil brother Rico are the clones of the. <laughs> I didn't make sorry, that up. Sorry. Him and his evil brother. Yeah, and he's actually. Yeah, Rico. It, it, 
He's an important it's, it's, character. It's in, Doesn't Armando Sante yes, play him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's that part made into yeah. the movie. But him and his evil brother Rico are clones of the original Chief Justice Fargo, who overthrew the constitutional government and established the judicial system that Mega City One now lives under. So he's basically like a copy of the original judge that everybody looks to. So they're like, even though there are people above him in the hierarchy, like you mentioned, yeah, people seem to defer to him a lot just because he's such a badass and also he's part of the original judge system. Okay, that is really awesome context that I wish I had going into this because that's that's sick. That's a really cool background. Yeah, something goes wrong. And there are Sorry, parallels in something the... goes wrong with Rico okay, okay. and he... Um, go he goes completely bad like in the bad stallone movie and um they end up sending him to a lunar colony and his face gets defigured and later he comes back to try to kill his brother but yeah anyway go ahead well there's some parallels to real life too like i i uh got to meet when i was in the military and do some training with some special forces guys and they were saying that like what's the pressure of being in like of having the green beret or an equal esteem is like Away from rank, if you're in a situation and all of a sudden something pops off, even when there's other military personnel, everybody looks at you to know what to do. So there's even some parallel to that. It's not like, yeah, the captain would be there and make broader political sort of policy sort of decisions. But in terms of like, okay, we're getting shot at. Where do we go? It does make some sense. Now, okay, so back to our plot. Generally speaking... Again, this is sort of red done. We get a bunch of little sequences sort of cut up as men- as Wendell mentioned it because these are like kind of mini progs that we get pieces of this. You know, uh, you know the judge is out in patrol, you know, you know fighting, you know, guerrilla style. But there are a few standout moments. One I mentioned already I really love, which is um, when, you know, the Megacity one kind of the Americans or the Westerners or whatever get attacked. Um, of course, they're going to do their nuclear first or second strike, I guess, in this case. But the Ruskies are planning on that. And so they <sighs> teleport all of the the um, Amer- the, tads, the total all the nukes. Uh, total annihilation devices. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, to a parallel Earth. And what's beautiful about <laughs> it is it like it's the Earth that made all of the right decisions. <laughs> That to not to avoid like this fascist dystopia and they just unsuspectingly hey, what's going get on wiped there? out. Yeah. So you what what's great about the metaphysics of that, it's like you can't even avoid the just dread reality, even if you're in a different reality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Yeah. It reminds it reminds me just real quick of like when Americans um usually libs, but are like when a Republican becomes a president. Uh, they're like, I'm moving to Canada. And it's like, well, you know, in this country, we invade other countries. <laughs> so I don't know where you think you're going to go. <laughs> I, unfortunately, you might want to stick it out and help stop the fascists here because at least we could potentially change the political situation. If you move to, I don't know, uh, like fucking Belarus or something like that, like we may just decide that like you, you yeah, you don't get a, a vote or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that scene um, in the comic where the peaceful people get nuked reminded me of um, Pulp Fiction, where um, Bruce Willis and um, is it Ving Rhames? They're going, they're going at oh, yeah, it, and they're shooting exactly. at each other. <laughs> and the poor, there's this poor woman, a bystander, is trying to help Ving Rhames after he's been in a car accident, and she just gets <laughs> shot in the leg, and she's just like screaming in agony. That's she's just trying to help, it's and hilarious. she just gets shot anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she kind of, well, the only thing about her that's maybe a little negative is she's a bit litigious, or at least as if she's litigious, because she's like, I got his number, or whatever she says. She's sort of like, I saw that guy hit you, and then just gets No, shot. that's actually oh, okay. Kathy Griffin. Um, she's, a, she's a separate person. Oh, shit. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Maybe I was just hoping she would get shot in the leg. Anyway, um, I don't even just like Kathy Griffin. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, okay. Um, so that's a standout moment. Another one that's really good is that, like, the Reds uh, capture, um, pol- uh, what's his name, Chief Justice Griffin, um, Judge Dredd's sort of boss and, you know, the kind of, like, captain in the cop movie, you know, who instead of being like, Judge Dredd, you blew up 40 cars, he's like, good job on throwing all them cars or whatever. <laughs> like, I love you like a son. yeah. So they catch him, and like as is the common fear of communist Russia, they mind control him, obviously, and then he starts doing propaganda for uh, the Russians, and so they do a mission where Judge Dredd infiltrates the TV show that he's doing. It's like Curfew Tonight or something really (laughs) snazzy, and just like shoots him. That's the whole, it's like kill that, you know, and that's what he would have wanted. And like calls him out and is like, I I hereby judge you for treason and yeah no nah, that shit's awesome right um uh, one other moment that uh yeah. stood out to me and i think like this is where i stopped caring about the art style and uh in apocalypse war uh was there's a part where um the east meg has like taken over a lot of the city and they've like uh, they, they've discovered they have these like laser rifles, the stub stub rifles that like can just shoot a laser beam and cut shit in half. Right. And yeah. they're and they're wanting to cut off that big freeway, and this one judge jumps from the very top of it, just shooting his laser, cutting all the roads as he as he plummets to his death. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do something crazy. And they're like, holy shit, he's doing it. And he just falls down and cuts all of these freeways uh, so that the the bad guys can't advance. And I was like, that is a very sad. I literally thing. took a picture of that. Yeah. Because I was going to send it to you. I just forgot, but it's like, because of what he was yelling on the way down, where he's like for judgment and <laughs> yeah. freedom and Liberty <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. No, it's, it's really perfect. Yeah. It's great. Um, it's like one of the more like more outwardly satirical stuff because it is so yeah, yeah, that's serious a, and silly at the same time. That's um Slim Pickens riding a, a fucking nuke to <laughs> Very the much. You know? And what's fucking hilarious about you saying that is that like when you said like that's when I stopped uh, worrying about the art, I really, the first thought I had was like, it's like that's when I learned or how I learned to stop worrying about the art and uh, what is it? Lo- love Mega Ooh, yeah. City 1 yeah, or something yeah. like that. Damn. Um, damn. Missed it by that. That's much. one of the oh, one of the reasons Chris and I became friends. Actually, Chris loved was, uh, that movie, and I just was like, and showed me that movie before anybody I else. For, I forgot I showed um, that to you. You know, I was actually in middle. Mm-hmm. Sc- sorry to digress. I was in middle school, and I tried to show oh, it to like three other friends during my birthday, and it's just like they were bored out of their gourds. They just like did not <laughs> get it. And it was something about that film I've just always loved. It's so funny. It's it is funny because and it's actually it's funny because I've talked about this on the show. It has this thing in it that I love, I and mean, Peter Sellers does it really well. But like, um, and who's who plays Patton or the Patton esque George character? C. Scott? Um, George C. Scott so good in it. Um, but that they say absurd, silly shit in the most serious way, and it's George C. Scott and Peter Sellers and other actors, obviously, that are like 
so good and so, like intoning with such gravitas like you can't fight in here this is a war room and like totally it's yeah it's, it's so good can't and it actually pairs well with this we should well recommendations yeah. later but um so yeah that and and actually let's just go back to say these three things that we pointed out just from again i mean like we haven't like really gone out of our way to talk about this sort of like writing chops that you get to see here but that's one way that they've done this which is that like you have this long red dawn sort of scenario with not the most uh kind of complicated plot to it but to keep our attention and to keep going he has these creative little scenes that each have their own little intrigue or interest like i mentioned like the idea of the captain getting hired and and brainwashed and then um anybody got any other little standout moments oh um when one of the i fucked it i I might have already pointed this out i I remember thinking it was cute uh earlier when i saw my friends one of the first places that a nuke touches down in uh in mega city is the bob oppenheimer reclamation oh of course yeah uh tower uh from like the last time it got nuked uh (laughs) like from the last time it was touched down uh, no, that is, yeah, that is funny, and and this and by the way, I mean like we could point out a bunch of those. This comic is sort of filled with those little funny moments, like b- away from everything else. It's just got a little ga- a, lot, a lot of little gags in it. Yeah, there's there's the gag um, where um, there's a guy he's singing the apocalypso, and uh, everybody's mm-hmm. dancing around. And there's just total mayhem, <laughs> and then he's just like uh, a bit like Slim Pickens, except he's on the receiving end. He just goes splat. That's literally what it says, and he's just like crushed by a missile. Yeah. So, of course, uh, the way this ends, I mean, it's a really fun, um, <laughs> fucking <laughs> awesome of thing. But yeah. they end, they end this where um, they've been totally defeated and invaded and everything like that. So, um, Dread and in a kind of like, you know, Trojan War <laughs> move, like nine of them decide that they're going to take just invade. Um, what's it called again? East, East Meg. Meg one, yeah. East Meg one. They're gonna take it over, and it reminded me so much of this obscure SNL sketch with Alec Baldwin uh, back in the day. This has nothing to do with his recent controversy or whatever. But he, it was when uh, it was a s- small period of time where there were these hostages that China had, and Alec Baldwin, like they're just you know, it's they're not being treated that badly, and they're probably gonna be released. And Alec Baldwin is this general, this like very like. Wild, Wild Bill Hickok kind of attitude, and he's trying to tell all the prisoners that they need to rebel against <laughs> China. Like, and there's a great scene. There's a great line where he's like, "That's we can take them, guys." And he's like, "Who? The Chinese?" He's like, "Yeah, why not?" Because there's a billion of them. I don't think he's gonna. So it just reminded me so much of that, and it's such a fun scene. And of course, they win. They they uh, dress up like the the uh, Meg. Uh, the East Meg one judges, which also is a good time to mention the fact that like there turns out the Soviets are in this case are just like us, which is a little subtle thing. Like yeah. they have judges, their world is structured almost exactly the same way. And um Tread, as we talked about before, literally just destroys a billion or so people in East Meg One by launching their nukes and killing everybody. Uh, okay, and okay. <laughs> And and then purposely getting captured, uh, so right. that he can be taken in front of Mad Dog, um, and then like coincidentally be able to be escorted to go kill him, which is also pretty yeah. fucking rad. 
Um, like this, this mad dog being this like kind of, uh, main antagonist and sort of, yeah. uh, I love the, uh, what, what, what do they call themselves? There was that like group of three. It was like the, the dictator crats. The dictatoriate. The dictocrat. Yeah. The dictator. Yeah. 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 I, I thought that was such a great name, but then like this Joseph Stalin looking dude. Just being like, hey, if this is because we didn't let you be a part of the group, <laughs> he just has them all shot down. Yeah, I was I was getting Khrushchev vibes yeah. from it. But yeah, Stalin might as well. I mean, it's such a... And we didn't really talk about him too much because it's such a vague, like, general... General. I remember him. Yeah. Name, but um, yeah, and so, I mean, like, there's just something <laughs> wonderfully, like, taking it to its extreme version to have... Dread like other people for a moment are waffling about whether they ought to commit the greatest genocide in human history. It's like, nope, do it now, man. <laughs> like, <in this. laughs> Which is funny because like he launches a diamond tipped nuke at them, and but like didn't prime the warhead just so him and his dudes could slip in through the tunnel that it made. So for a second, you're like, he's not trying to be like that. But then he do be like that, right? <laughs> and, right. Yeah. <laughs> and and then so he kills Mad Dog and the other officials of East Meg are like, hey, okay, we're ready to talk about a peace uh, or the conditions of peace. And he's like, no, no conditions. Truth. You, you full surrender. And then he, right. and then they take he takes all the East Meg one people and just dumps them in the hole that used to be their city. He's like, we can't, we can't have all these assholes here. So they just went and dropped all the, all the East Meg soldiers just back in the crater that he made of their town. <laughs> we gonna take you home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. He's like, I don't give a shit. Get yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like burning someone's house down. And be like, yeah, let me just drop you off of your house. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, yeah, and then the apocalypse war is over, um, and that's the story. I mean, it was a long ride for sure but like uh i honestly feel like you mentioned um this reads really quickly and i think it's a, it is a a testament to how sort of well written it is also probably yeah they they yeah. do the, the james patterson was, yeah. sort of thing where these are very short chapters so you feel like you're moving ahead pretty quickly right it right. reminds me of how like the original uh like when the uh when the like original uh clone wars cartoon came out uh, during, like, when the prequel movies were coming out, Gindy Tartakovsky had these, like, animated shorts that were, like, 15 minutes that just showed, like, particular scenes from the battle with the clones. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, like, there's, you know, just, like, Mace Windu beating the shit out of a bunch of droids or whatever. And it's, like, so... Uh, just just this little bubble, this, like, like little slice of the battle uh, that just kind of made... just filled in little gaps in the narrative. And, yeah, right. yeah, this... This is so highly consumable with this kind of story, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I have to say, like to go back to an earlier point too, or like the other kind of point. Another reason that satire is is very I, I don't, like um, there something good about it. I, I guess is like it's also a way to make very digestible. Otherwise, what would be yeah. really dismal sort of <laughs> reading. Whatever. Um, well, hey, that's the end of our story. Uh, so let's let's sort of wrap up here, unless anybody's got anything else that we missed or anything like that. Uh, nope, go ahead. Excellent. So let's talk about, uh, our, I guess, our final sort of thoughts or judgments or what have you, our final judgments, uh, about this comic, and then we'll do some recommendations, and we'll sign off, and that's it. Um, 
Chris, this was your selection. So what 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 do you what do you, what are your sort of final thoughts? What are my about? final thoughts? So <laughs> um it's a great action story. Um it moves really quickly. It's enjoyable to look at. Um at least the block war, the apocalypse war to some degrees uh good art, but um also this story is a bit for dread it's sui generis. It's not as satirical as some of his other stuff is. I don't know if you guys got to dip your mm. toes into like some of the other short stories, but some of them are so bleak and so funny. There's a guy who um, takes his wife to basically a body pawn shop, and he pawns her to um, bribe uh, an official so he can try to get a job because there's like 80% unemployment in Mega City 1. So he's trying to get this job, and of course he does not get the job, and his wife's, uh, meanwhile, in this pawn shop, and they're going to cut up her body and use uh, the organs to, for collateral. So um, he has to rob somebody to pay off the pawn shop. And then, um, of course, Judge Red, you know, catches him, and he gets 20 years in the ISO cubes. And it's just very, like, black humor <laughs> dreariness of the future society that they live in. That that sounded like a transmetropolitan, like expose i know yeah, like that was that <laughs> straight up yeah um uh wendell what do you think what's your what are your final thoughts about uh that? i love this uh this was while a while i think again i've i've seen select moments of dread being just the ultimate badass and like more i guess probably isolated narratives and uh in his like comics uh this was a story that I would never think I would like the kind of story is something I don't think I would ever have thought I liked would like, mm-hmm. like I would never be drawn to this. And I was really captivated by it just for the sake of the way it is told. And, um, it's like cutscenes in a video game or something. And, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I dug the shit out of this. This was, um, this was a really fun <clears throat> thing. And I really, and it, and it's cool to know that like how judge dread sort of, was published because I, I feel like that plays into that. That's a, that, that plays a huge role in like, I think the, like his, uh, his notch in comic book history or whatever, you know, like this, like, like not a cul-de-sac necessarily, but like this place that he, and notch is a good way to say it. Yeah. 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 yeah Jared said it um, more, I think accurately when he said it's an Island almost off to itself, but a lot of these guys have mm-hmm. migrated over here. A lot of like what we're seeing here, like later ends up in, you know, the Watchmen or, um, you know, the Killing Joke and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, I I kind of have to mirror something Gwendol said, which is, because I was struggling to think about, like, was this better than I thought it was? Um, because I thought it was going to be good. I mean, I, I mentioned before, this comes with a pretty strong reputation, and it's well-respected by, let's say, the, the, the people that I respect, but... It was that it was way different than I thought. I, you know, I, I go in these are used to more like these comic boards where people argue about characters, and especially there's one called the battle board where they argue about who would win. And I would always see people who were fans like Conan is another character, Conan the Barbarian, um, sort of like these characters that are like the badasses of their world, right? Maybe in some open sense, Batman's a bit like that. So people would mention Judge Dreadlot, and so I just always assumed this comic was a little bit more like straight ahead. I understood he was a kind of like satirical thing. I didn't realize 
the degree of satire, and I was really pleasantly surprised. So in other words, this was very different than I expected, but good really in its own way. We didn't get into the uh, as much as, like, you know, we're going to miss some stuff, like how good the writing is. Uh, it just is. Like, I think it's technically very well done. But either way, I, I love this. I thought it was heavier than I expected. In a lot, like, it like made me think about things that I didn't expect to think about. Um, so yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a great pick. Um, and thanks, Chris, for picking it. Because honestly, as I've said like three times, we probably wouldn't have gotten to Judge, Judge Red quickly. And I'm glad that we we did. I'm glad it didn't take us three years to. Oh get yeah, to this. well, thanks for having me on. I mean, I've learned so much mm. having to do this comic book. I read this one, and then I read six, and then this. I don't know if you guys can see it. I am the law, but it talks about the satirical aspect of the comic book and how it relates to British politics and U.S. politics. Like, and it talks a lot about Black Lives Matter and like contemporary politics and the militarization of the police and so forth. Well, what's, uh, who's the writer? Um, his name is Mike Mulcher and you can look him up on Spotify. Okay. He's done a few podcasts that I listen to where he talks about judge dread and also 2000 AD. He's a very knowledgeable Brit about comic books. Uh, uh, that's, that's such a good segue into the last thing we're going to do, which is uh, do recommendations. I assume that you're also recommending that. Um, yeah, hundred percent. If you, I, I uh, don't usually direct them this way, but I am curious, like if there was one other judge dread comic besides this, that you would say, like if our, you know, you would recommend what, what do you think that would be? Um, I would say if you can get case files, number one, so you get to see when dread, initially came out and you get to see his initial design his kind of fascist look and the, the stories are fun it's just robots going crazy and you know trying to overthrow the government and um they're not none of the stories in that one are as long as the ones we've tackled so i would say yeah if you're going to try dread case files number one you get a good taste of him oh yeah excellent any other recommendations you want to do uh for two? um okay so if you want to read about uh policing in general and how how judge dread relates to that and is a satire and also a reflection of that i would say i am the law by mulcher and i would recommend 2000 ad the comic book in general i think you guys would like a lot of the other characters like rogue trooper the guy who illustrates that uh worked with alan moore to make the watchman he's the illustrator and that his name escapes me Ooh. and then um wendell for you specifically there's a one called nemesis the warlock it's about this dragon on earth who dragon-like creature who's trying to overthrow this fascist theocratic government on earth and just the way you were into the silver surfer art that what was the episode you were talking about yeah with mike Allred. yeah the art. way you described like the worlds and how much is going on and like the detail you get a lot of that in warlock the nemesis uh Hell just go yeah. onto the computer and like google warlock the nemesis and you'll see what i mean hell yeah I've, I've written that uh, down. I am checking that out right after this. So I'll do some my recommendations now. Um, so first of all, I wouldn't have said this before, but since it came up, one of my favorite satires ever, it's also what Chris introduced me to, uh, Doctor Strangelove. It's an amazing movie. Watch it. Uh, don't be discouraged. Watch Doctor Strangelove if you haven't seen it. It's very approachable. It's very funny even now. And again, it's how do you talk about one of the scariest things in the world, which is like a political situation spiraling out of control such that it could end the world. Well, you do it through really smart writing and comedy and great acting. So 
uh, watch that. I mentioned before, um, we were probably too critical of Carlos Esquerra's art. I really do like him. Mm-hmm. And I not just in, uh, in what I'm going to recommend. I liked him in this. I think he's great. Um, there was a short uh, miniseries I already alluded to called Just a Pilgrim. And it was by Garth Ennis. And Gar- uh, Carlos Esquerra does the art. He's a little bit... This is a little bit later. He's that much better. And I think it's a great representation of his work. It's similar to this as well because it's a sort of future dystopia. But they take things in a more of a sort of Western direction. Um, so if you like his art here, I think you'll love it there. And then my last recommendation, unless I'm missing something, I think is also interesting. This was a total coincidence. But um, I kept getting Lobo vibes yeah. from this. Um, so it's weird because it they're, Lobo's not really satirical about at least not something as serious as this though there is a lot of comedy a lot of reference um and interestingly enough Lo- this, the one i want to recommend specifically is loba by keith Gall- uh keith giffen who is a really unsung talent in writing i can't recommend i recommend all of keith giffen but also and alan grant i didn't realize he worked on this volume this is the same alan grant that worked with john wagner on this totally this feels serendipitous um, and yeah, I just pick up logo Lobo, sorry, by Keith Giffen and Alan Grant, even though it's not the same, doesn't have the same sort of political content or bent. I think that if you enjoy the badass humor, like literally badassness and humor combination of, of this, you're really going to enjoy that. And it's got similarly rough stylized art. I recommend it. If I have my druthers, we'll do it on the podcast one day. Maybe one of my wildcard picks, but, uh, Wendell, what are you recommending this week? Um, so I'm going to kind of, uh, I'm going to recommend two things that sort of illustrate, like, like if I were going to break this up into the things that I had already experienced, uh, before this, like if I had two categories, uh, one is, uh, if you like this sort of, uh, this, this sort of content and, uh, attitude to a story, uh, any of Frank Miller's Sin City would be right up your alley. Yeah. I think. Um, uh, it again, it really handles. I mean, a lot of it is just very detective noir, vigilante kind of shit. Uh, on the opposite side of that, if uh, if you like this idea and want to take it and just want to like turn the colors up and uh, take it all the way to the other side, Axe Cop is a really fun um, <laughs> is a really fun comic book <laughs> uh, that is uh, uh, it's written originally as a comic book or web comic that was written by. Uh, Malachi Nicole, who is a five-year-old, and his older brother would illustrate the stories he would uh, he would tell. <laughs> and that's awesome. And it's just about a policeman with a mustache who f- uses his superpower as an axe. And um, and it is he fights dinosaurs. He goes it, like just imagine a five-year-old just jibber jabbering, and you just writing it all down. And and the illustration is really great. Um, and, but he is a very no nonsense always win hold up the law kind of character like like judge dread hell so, yeah yeah merciless um well thank you again for being on the show chris i'm gonna have you back as much uh and as often as you want to be on the show honestly i thought it was great um by the way for the listeners please uh, uh hit us up on social media please uh i don't know talk to us on twitter or anywhere you can um give us a five-star review on any uh podcast medium itunes is a good one for instance we'll read what you said on the show um and tell us what you want us to read and what you want us to talk about because there's a really strong chance we'll do that i would also like to put it to our listeners to uh help me 
see if I'm I I, I want to see if I'm the asshole here. Is it when you're talking about the comic book character? Is it Conan or Conan? Uh, I would like you gonna <laughs> go on our Twitter and let us know where it's supposed to be because every time Jared says Conan the Barbarian, it fucking <laughs> it hurts my heart. Wait, how do I say it? You say Which Conan. Say? You're just like yeah, yeah. You guys never read Conan? And it's like Conan there is O'Brien a Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, there is a Conan O'Brien. <laughs> But there is a Conan the Barbarian. Like I, now I that you say that, I'm like, you have to be right. <laughs> it has to be. It, it bothers Conan. me every time he's like, he, yeah. he he was never like, hi, I'm Conan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I love the idea of like destroy the enemy, see them driven before you, hear the lamentations of the women. Conan. <laughs> Conan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. bye everybody. Comic, comic. So well, yeah. So I mean, Wendell, you watched that Superman show. I, are you? Um, are, are neither of you even slightly familiar with it? Did I've just... seen. I've seen like a a twenty second or minute long trailer. I've yeah. never heard of it. Um, it it has no, a... Superman is this character. <laughs> yeah. He, so in. he's from a different planet. Um, no, mm-hmm. he, uh, it, so Jack Quaid voices, uh, Clark Kent, which I think is pretty, pretty good. It, he, he really, um, yeah, he really, I don't like, uh, it, it kind of looks like the, the animation style is very reminiscent of like Avatar The Last Airbender. So it's like right. mildly anime, but like, uh, you know with a western kind of feel to it and it, it, it is it's it's a touch japanese just, yeah it's, it's just, just a skosh, just a skosh yeah. of asian um but it's really good and it's like uh they're interns at the daily view or at the daily planet and uh like it's clark lois and jimmy all being like the same age college interns uh getting into hijinks uh super hijinks and it's really good there's like there was this weird part about like he's also discovering his origin or whatever and they like he his first suit up is very sailor moon it's very like like he he his the first time his suit comes on like the ship does it to him and it like he just glows and he's suddenly in a superman outfit Uh, he's got tits yeah um (laughs) but there was a lot of like blue electricity around it before and i thought they were going to harken back to that uh that early 2000s blue and red superman thing I thought for a second, but I don't know. You know, you know John Kent in the stories now, like in the in the published single issues or whatever, is has the electrical energy now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's fun. I was really hoping they would just straight up make him Superman Blue. Yeah, because we could kill those two birds with one stone, which is like give him, you have to do something with him now. He because he's like there's already a Superboy. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean he can be and he's. So he's not that anymore. Now he's Superman, but you know it's like ah, oh, he's just younger, pretty gay Superman. Which you know it's like you we have enough Kryptonians, so it would be a way to like one you get to have this nostalgia kick that they always want to refer back to, but also you get like he doesn't he's not totally redundant in the Superman family. Yeah, yeah. Make make the gay Superman the one that like crackles with like fun blue sparks. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I I. I as a kid, loved that shit when it came out. Like mm-hmm. looking back on it, I was like, "This is a really fun, weird way to approach this." I, I, like I, I don't know to zazz him up or whatever. 
but that's how everything yeah. works though like in other words like i don't know why i had a stanky like condescending yeah i was gonna say well this is fun like, this is a fun energy right? no I, I it wasn't so much directed at you it's just like that is kind of what how like any dumb thing anything that the vast majority of fans hate if it's a kid's first comic they're that's they love that shit mm-hmm. and it's very similar to like episode one through three of star wars where all the star wars fans and it seemed like the general movie going audience was like this is bullshit i don't like it or whatever or it was like it's not as bad but not great but if you were 12 when that was coming out like or eight like jar jar binks is the shit nope, he's I hilarious and fun fucking and loved funny. it yeah yeah mm. like like pod racing was mm-hmm. the shit that like that was yeah that was such a cool idea um yeah no same all right like it uh, it, it's good though. You guys should check it out. It's on Adult Swim. I think there's two episodes up on Max right now, and the first episode's on YouTube for free to watch. I will check it out. It's it's, but it's like it's this fantastically ridiculous part of our brains that like I'm still collecting now. Thank thank you eBay, individual issues of comics that came out in the early '90s because that's those were the first comics that I was super into, and that's that's I I read current comics, but though if if I'm gonna buy something new, it's like just Trying to recapture my youth or something. <laughs> That's what it's about. Um, yeah. I mean, I like I um, like stuff that Adult Swim's put out, so I'll, I'll try an episode. But yeah, anime vibes are not my not my thing usually. Not really not Jared's Chris's thing gym. either, so I kind of feel... Like I, that's why I was trying to equate it to Avatar more so, just because I feel... Uh, I feel like right. that, that's I a love Avatar. Audience. Yeah, everybody And, and honestly, it's like... Avatar the I, Blue People just, or Avatar the... The Airbender. Okay, Airbender. All right, yeah. The Bender yeah. there, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I don't. I'm not against anime or or manga. I don't even. I have no like prejudice against it whatsoever. I and I have liked. I think probably at this point, seventy one percent of the stuff that I've or more. Partly because like, if you have friends or like, I'm dating a guy who's on the show a lot of times, JT, <laughs> but who's you know they're gonna give you stuff that they think is like either high, very high quality manga and and anime or the kind of stuff that will be a good for somebody that's not super familiar or whatever. So most of it is that I'm reading is good or whatever. I just don't know it terribly well. Um, yeah. But if if Superman is a bit Sailor Moon, I'm not gonna be too upset. There are two things that you said that I'm not super excited about. One is, and it's just because I'm getting older. I don't, you know, like why is every character gotta be fucking nineteen? Like I don't yeah. know why that enhances the thing. I like my favorite Superman's probably Kingdom Come Superman, and right. he's like, yeah. it's like Bruce Willis Zenith the Viz career in his early fifties. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. So, but. And then the other thing is, like, I just don't know how much I need a new, like, retelling of those stories. I don't, I don't know. I mean, not, like, that was just my first thought was, like, I, I know the Metallo story. I know the Bizarro yeah. story. So hopefully they'll innovate in some way. And it won't just be, like, it's like my friend had a great bit about how, like, the one thing that's persisted throughout my entire life and far before is... Martha and um, Thomas Wayne being gunned down in that alley. Every movie, yeah, you get to see yeah, that yeah. over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. oddly Pearls. reassured Pearls by their deaths. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, see, I try to, I try to keep an open mind with that kind of thing because it's like, like there are at this point there have been like probably fifteen or so Spider-Man animated shows and. All of them, like like most of them, are good. Most of them are really good, or if not, fun to absorb. You know, like at the very least. Um, I liked the one from I guess it was the late '90s, Jared, when we were in high school or so. 
but um, yeah, you're talking about the Bruce Tim stuff. Yeah, uh, sure. The Justice League, like the the same art and kind of world of like Batman the animated series, Superman the animated series, that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I wasn't aware there was mm. so many other ones. I know about there's a '70s one that I haven't seen, but I didn't know there was mm-hmm. that many. But yeah, they won't they won't stop. They can never stop. And DC's got the problem because it's like they're like they have this weird. It's probably Warner Brothers, but they're like they have faith in like three of their characters. Like, they're like, yeah. we know Batman will do, like, a billion dollars every time Superman, even to the degree that they're like, what, just do Batman, whatever, Batman is uh, got Down syndrome, do it, it's fine, they don't give a fuck, they like, no, but then they'll have a character that's been around for, like, 80 years, like Green Lantern, The Flash, or something like that, and they're like, we don't know if this is, could it ever work? It's like, yeah, it's like an amazingly well-selling comic, I think maybe movie audiences can handle the guy that runs fast, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say, just to that principle of like, uh, you're you're sort of just like whatever was around when you were kids or, or got into. Really, you think that should be the definitive version? That's what I've been dealing with on Twitter lately with these fucking Snyderverse pieces of shit. No, no, no. I'm just like they're fine. I'm not gonna attack the Snyderverse crowd, but it is. You can just tell that like it was in many for many of them the first um, version of those characters they were really invested in, and so now everything. Ha- that isn't that is just for them just garbage yeah or whatever see see i i'm not like i'm I, my whole thing is is like that shit was there and i thought it was cool as a kid but i'm not like so in emboldened to it that right. like to change i mean I, you've heard me be kind of a wet like wet diaper about fucking Kyle Rayner in the past but it's i mean that's yeah. about the extent of it and and it's really more right. so just how they handled him after bringing Hal back, not so much that like Hal shouldn't have come back in the first place. It's just they just didn't do anything with Kyle after that. Like he didn't carry the fucking franchise for twenty years. Yeah, they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, and I look. I mean, I'll, I'll just I guess in my two cents because we one day we will do an episode about the Snyderverse. I swear to God, I'd it's coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't dislike it. Even I don't like a lot of it. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of his, his as a director, but I think there's a lot of good there. And I think what's annoying is that, like, for his, you know, obsessive devotees, you know, they act like anybody that doesn't see everything he did as this masterstroke, you know, of genius that we hate it. Yeah. Like, it, it's very, it's a weird binary thing where it's like, no, I think I mean, they're fine. A lot of them were very entertaining. I like, in many ways, I, I really respect his vision, but, like, I just don't think they're great films but that doesn't mean i think that they're shit or that the people that like them are stupid either but it's just this weird like cult online it's a republican compulsion it's like you know love it or leave it if you criticize it at all then you're the enemy yeah but you you can incidentally yeah you can like a thing and criticize it incidentally uh i that you mentioned that i get i swear to god i don't know but i get a maga vibe from those people like, I really do. And, I, and look, I mean, I, I think in some sense, when we talk about politics, this is all going at the end, so don't get, you know, weird about this. But anyway, like, I, I think sometimes people exaggerate how bad they are and then, like, talk, you know, kind of neglect how awful much of the rest of our politics is. But anyway, like, I swear to God, when I'm, when I'm confronted by the Snyderverse people, I'm like, I know that you're wearing a red hat Yeah, right now. I just know it. Like, well, yeah, I mean, anyway, okay. I don't know too much about Snyder. I mean, I like the... Um the zombie film he did, but I really haven't right. watched these superhero movies, but listening to y'all's podcast, my understanding is that he's kind of right-wing in his politics, like a libertarian appears, anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it doesn't. I mean, and you know, there's certain libertarians. It's, it's so perspectival where it's like they don't consider themselves necessarily right wing, and so it isn't clear to me he's even politically conversant, you know, or invested enough. But he uh, to to identify as right wing. But he's a big fan of of Ayn Rand. You know, he he may just never have gotten past that moment in in high school. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that that means that he's a, a right wing ideologue so much as he just, you know. Yeah. It doesn't know enough to be, feel weird about those things. Right? I always feel weird um, about selling that book in the bookstore. We get it used copies often, and it's like, I don't know if I want to sell this to you because I don't know what you're going to do later. Yeah. You yeah. Run exactly. for Congress. Probably nothing but, but be sarcastic and condescending to people on the <laughs> yeah. uh, Probably argue with Jared is what that person's going to do. Okay. Anyway, 